Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. When it comes to choosing a welding school, there are a lot of options out there. But in my personal opinion, I think finding one that gives you experience of what you'll encounter in the field is going to be worth the price of tuition. And that is exactly what our friends at Arc Labs are doing. Aside from their basic curriculum that'll get you trained to be confident in your skills, you'll have a chance to weld in one of their many different simulators that'll show you what it's like to weld in a confined space, welding in a pipe rack, or even making crucial welds on a water wall with little to no room to maneuver. If you're out in the field on a job and encounter something like that, you could be the go-to welder to make those crucial welds with confidence. Aside from that, if you have a special process or alloy you want to learn, when you finish their basic outcomes, you can jump right into getting prepped for industries like sanitary, performance fabrication, and many more. Best thing is, when you finish school, you still have 20 extra welding hours after you graduate the school. So, if you decide you want to get into another industry, you can feel confident going into that weld test with extra time and guidance to get you there. If you're ready to be a future leader in the welding industry and hit the ground running with all the experience you need to be more than just a new hire, but a great set of hands, head on over to artlabs.edu today to start learning where welding will take you. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. In this week's episode, I got to chat with Johnny Snyder, owner and operator of Johnny S. Weld LLC. I was browsing through Instagram stories recently and I came across his post about going to Scrap Fest and I reached out to hear more about the event. He tells me about his experience going into the festival last year solo and returning this year working as a team with Mike Beaver. He goes over the rules to the event and what it's like sourcing your material from the local scrapyard in Lansing, Michigan, and what it's like making a mad dash to get that right part for your build. He also shares about the story of him starting his business and he shares some tools like Google that helped him build his business. Are you looking for a machine that has the versatility to handle MIG, TIG, and stick, as well as being able to run off of various power sources at the same time? Look no further than the Lincoln Electric 210MP. This was the first machine I picked up when I started my journey into welding, and it has never let me down. Light enough to carry into anywhere I might need to take it, with the ability to plug right into the wall when 220 isn't available, It has helped me build, repair, and create in all kinds of environments. There are all kinds of machines out there on the market, but from my personal experience, putting countless hours on this one, it's the first one I recommend to people looking for their first multi-process welding machine. Find out more over at LincolnElectric.com.
Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience in case they're not familiar with you and your work? Absolutely. Hi, everybody. My name is Johnny Snyder, and I'm the owner and operator of Johnny S. Weld LLC, where I do pretty much welding, fabrication, and metal art creation in a nutshell. And how long have you been in business? I've been in business since 2019, working for myself full-time. That's awesome. Quite the step to go full-time working for yourself. It's yeah. a little scary, but yeah, I'm in, yeah. That's super interesting. I know people out there listening, they want to make that jump too. Can you kind of tell us about that transition? Yeah, actually, I, I kind of fell into it a little bit. I knew that I wanted to work for myself at some point, but long story short, I was working in shipping, receiving. Um, I had never had a welding job before. And I picked up welding um, on my own in my garage and I wanted to get a job in welding and kind of move forward in that welding direction. And I quit my job to work for a welding company and it ended up not working out. And so I was jobless. I have a mortgage and I have kids and wife and family. And I was like, oh crap, what do I do? And I had already started my LLC probably a year prior, but that was just kind of sitting there waiting for me. And so I kind of just talked to my wife and decided, well, I guess I'm going to be working for myself full time. And so I kind of fell into it. I kind of had a plan in place for it, but I fell into it sooner than I wanted. But here I am. So it obviously worked out. I mean, that's kind of how it has to work sometimes, unless you have that kind of push out of the nest. A lot of people, it's hard for them to take that jump. There's never the right time. Yeah. (laughs) We've been connecting over the internet. You sent me some cool stuff, like some sticker packs in the past. But you told me, like I just recently saw one of your stories about going to Scrap Fest. Can you tell people what Scrap Fest is? Yeah. So Scrap Fest is a basically a sculpture competition, scrap metal sculpture competition in Old Town Lansing, Michigan. And it's a really cool. They kind of block off the street and they have all these art pieces in the middle of the street for everyone to kind of view. and But it, it goes back further than that and uh, earlier in time because the artists have to collect the metal from a scrapyard in Michigan. Actually, that's coming up in about a week from now. But basically, the artists have one hour to collect the material for their sculpture build. And the material is at the scrapyard. So we're digging through pieces. We're pulling pieces of metal out of piles. And that's the only material we're allowed to use for these sculptures. That's crazy. You only get an hour. Yeah, you get an hour to collect your metal, which is, it goes by literally in a minute. It's oh, yeah. insane how quick it goes by. Do you get to bring like fuel torches and stuff like that? Last year was my first year participating and someone did bring like a grinder, like a battery operative one to cut like a piece off of something. But other than that, no, you're pretty much just working with your hands and maybe like a pair of pliers or something like that. And you're just kind of picking through and grabbing what you can for your build. So you have to know in advance what you're going to make but you have to be extremely flexible on how you're going to make it. So you said you were in this last year. Like that sounds like quite the undertaking was, can you tell us about that experience? Cause you have to work in teams too, correct? Or is this, you can enter alone. So you could do teams or by yourself, however you want to do it. Last year I did it by myself, which was a huge undertaking. I had a friend help collect the metal with me because you're only allowed two people to collect at a time. So I had someone help me, but they're not, they weren't a welder. So they didn't know exactly what I was looking for. It was actually kind of funny. They would be across the scrapyard holding up like a giant piece of metal and be like, is this the one you want? And I'll either <laughs> give him a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And he'll, if thumbs down, he'll throw it back in the pile. That's so but, crazy. Uh, yeah. So I kind of did it all on my own last year. And it, it, that was a huge challenge to go from concept to picking the metal to building it, all of that, all on my own. So this year, I'm actually teaming up with my buddy, Mike. His name is Mike Beaver, and he's going to be my partner on this sculpture. 
That's super cool. That. So I'm guessing, I mean, if you only have an hour and you're allowed limited tools to collect it, are these sculptures more small scale? Do people go big scale? So there's actually two categories. There's small and there's large. Oh, dang. So small is basically the max you can collect is 250 pounds worth of material. And the criteria is a little bit flexible. It's basically something that someone would buy that's like a homeowner. So something relatively... I guess like smaller size, something fit in like a, a back of a truck, kind of smaller items. Okay. And the, the large scale items, the large are, I want to say it's eight feet wide by eight feet deep by 12 feet tall or something like that. I forget the exact numbers, but it's a large, it's a large sculpture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that can get pretty huge. And the maximum you're allowed to get as far as material in pounds is uh, 500 pounds. I mean, that still so, seems pretty light for something that big. Yeah, it's definitely like the criteria is, is, is the challenge in itself is meeting those criteria. And then you got to build something out of it, which is crazy. So last year, yeah. just giving people the experience. So what did you build last year? Okay, so last year I built a, in, in its simplest form, I built a birdhouse with some flowers coming out of the bottom. It was a reflection of my grandpa who actually lives in pretty close to Michigan where this event is held. He has a, some land. I basically just built it. He has a bunch of birdhouses. I'm like, oh, I'll do a little little tribute to his land and his area. So I had to pre kind of design the whole birdhouse and the flowers and all that before I went there, knowing this is what I'm making. These are the materials I need. It's crazy. Like being like, all right, I'm going to make a parts list and have no idea what kind of parts are really available. It's insane. It's very, it's very challenging to to have to envision what parts are there and how they're going to work with your build and to do it very quickly as well. When you're collecting stuff, is it like dog eat dog out there? Like, what's that vibe like? Like, are people (laughs) just trying to run around like crazy or like people ever fight over material? That's where my mind goes. Absolutely. Uh, That's very funny you say that. So basically, there's like a buzzer that goes off. All right, go. And out of the, I think there last year, there were like 20 artists or something like that, 20 or 30. And some people ran straight for the part they saw it they knew they wanted to be the first to get it maybe a part that was hard there's not a lot of those pieces around or something like that yeah. some people fastly walked and i just kind of slowly walked i was the the, the slowest one because i was kind of just looking at everyone what they're doing what do i do i mean um, a learning experience at the same time you know <laughs> oh yeah i had no idea i was like oh man okay this is what we're doing all right so then i just started digging through stuff and yeah so it, it was a fine mix of everybody doing everything different so then yeah. when you have your metal, how long do you have to create these? Uh, one month. Nice. And is so, there any um, special criteria on the creation process too? Or is that just kind of like... No, it's pretty much open on what you want to make. It has to do... There's some criteria like it has to be safe uh, for people to be around it. It can't be falling over. It can't, a 500-pound sculpture can't be like wobbly in the wind or anything like that. But other than that, the creative control is really up to the artist to kind of make whatever they envision in making their sculpture. So are you going for the big category this year or are you staying in the small? That's Uh, awesome. I'm doing big. So last year I did the small category and this year I I jumped into the big. It's going to be by far a lot more work, but now that I have a teammate to help out with everything, I think that it's going to be a little easier to get a large sculpture done. Yeah. Still going to be hard, but a little easier. One of the difficult things, I mean, eight by eight is it's still going to fit on a flatbed, but yeah. as far as transferring your your finished product up there, I've, I've talked to, I don't know if you heard the episode with Kevin Stone, but he does these huge, like huge sculptures and 
it is a logistical nightmare to transfer them. What is your plan on that side? What have you been looking into to try and get your sculpture to the event? So we're going to make, yeah, make it in sections and then be able to take those sections apart. And then when we're there, assemble everything together. We're one of the few people outside of the general area of Lansing, Michigan. There's only a handful of artists that are basically out of state. So we have to drive from Pittsburgh to Lansing. It'll be a total of three times for this event for us. How long of a drive is that? I think last I looked, it was like a six hour drive, six, six to seven, something oh, like that. Not too bad. Yeah, it won't be too bad for us. I have a truck, so we'll just throw it in the back of the truck and we'll make sure it gets there. So during the building process, we have to know that it has to at least fit in the back of a truck, even in pieces. That's always been kind of when you're scaling it. Whenever I try to plan out doing something big, I'm just like, that's my number one thing I always think about. It's, okay, I want to build this, but how am I going to make this get there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you definitely have to think of that. You'd hate to be stuck with something. You're like, oh, how? yeah, I'm going to travel with this. <laughs> and so then with all of the pieces that are part of Scrap Fest, are they like sold there or do they become like an installation? Like what happens to the work after the fact? So the goal, I guess, is to sell it there. They do like an auction. They do pre-bidding before the event starts. And then you, while you're there, you can bid on each art piece if you want it. So the goal is to try and sell it. That's what I think every artist is, is looking for. But if it doesn't sell, each artist is in, in responsible for their art piece from that point forward. So you got to take it if it don't sell. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So actually, the birdhouse did not sell that I made for last year. So I wasn't sure exactly what to do with it. I tried seeing if some local people in my area wanted to buy it. And I ended up finding a florist that wanted to put it in their shop, in their showroom in the front. That's awesome. So it's actually displayed right down the street at this cool florist and it actually fits together very well with the decorations and things like that. So it's kind of like storing it, but with people being able to actually see it. That's always every welder's dream is to just have their work in public. I mean, that's my, that was my dream when I got in. I was just like, I just want to build stuff that's going to be there for 30 years. I could come back and be like, that's me. Absolutely. So that's the reward in itself. It's just having it displayed. Anyone who walks in the shop gets to see it. And there's like a little story behind it about the whole scrap fest thing and all that. So I'm happy with the results. Sometimes monetary value isn't necessarily what it's all about. Yeah. You're semi new to the welding world anyway. So it's always Mm -hmm. good to have something out there to get your name out there and attract more business. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. Well, speaking of scrap, and using recycled materials. I think that is a really cool thing that people are doing is just making scrap sculptures and just doing anything we can to reuse all of this stuff that's just rusting out in junkyards everywhere. When it comes to using recycled materials, though, sometimes you run into things like you don't know what kind of coating is on them. You don't know what kind of metal it is sometimes. Can you tell us the challenges of working with scrap and recycled materials yeah well you pretty much just said it is not really knowing exactly what's on the metal or metals made out of and things like that so it's a lot of trial and error of just trying to weld two pieces together and realize they're not sticking together oh one's a completely different material or (laughs) who knows what it's even made out of when you're dealing with scrap so there's all those challenges are definitely there and Welding with scrap metal as well, I feel like I'm constantly welding really thick pieces of metal to thin pieces of metal. So I'm always adjusting my setting to get good penetration in the thick metal, but not blow through the metal that's thin and things like that. So it's a delicate dance for sure. (laughs) Very delicate dance. Absolutely. (laughs) 
how did you go about teaching yourself all this? Because you said you're self-taught. What were some really good resources that helped you? So looking stuff up online uh, went so far for me. I think there's only so many like little videos I can watch and things like that, where I started to kind of max out wh what I can learn from YouTube and whatnot. And then it sounds kind of funny. I'm sure a lot of people will, will agree, but Instagram actually helped me a ton. Yeah. I was able to see more real life things happening quicker. And as they're happening, I'm able to ask questions and get real answers kind of right away. And how did you go about finding all of that though? Cause I, I hear this a lot. So I hear a lot of people say they learn a lot from Instagram, but finding the good material versus just like the joke post with like a bunch of t-shirts followed by it. I think you had anybody that's on yeah. Instagram understands what I'm talking about, where it's just, this is just a shock and awe. And then it's, Hey, and we have all these t-shirts. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I was, I joined Instagram specifically for welding and I feel like there wasn't a, as much of that, or I just wasn't exposed to all that at the time. I just remember being like a lot more just cut and dry people doing their work and sharing about it. And it wasn't all that extra stuff that it is now for sure. You were grandfathered yeah. into it. <laughs> you grandfathered yeah, yeah. into the good stuff. Via Instagram, I got a sweet slap pack from you. And that was something that I was really interested to talk to you about is that what I what really blew my mind getting into the welding world was people's obsession with stickers, man. Everybody's got stickers. Everybody's got all kinds of different stickers. And people love giving away and trading stickers. Can you talk about, because your stickers that you sent, you made one specifically for Fabtech this past year. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. That started was a couple years ago. I had a, someone else gave away stickers with the year that Fabtech was on. And so it made it more of a specific sticker. It's not just the same one you give to everybody. But if you were at that event, that you got that special sticker. And it was kind of a cool idea. And I, I liked it instantly. I was like, wow, I really want to do that. So I've done that the last couple of years that I have been to Fabtech. And it's, and it's just a cool, cool little thing just to give out. Like when you physically meet someone, it's a lot different than obviously online. And it's cool to receive a sticker like that and or to give one because then you really remember like, I oh, that was a good event. I had a good time meeting this person and just kind of goes all hand in hand. The thing that I see it from, like coming from a music background, like that's where my background, I've been in the music world for a long time and people put stickers up. It's like passive marketing. It is a, a very quick way to, I could go around town and hit every single light post that I can and just put a sticker <laughs> out. People will be curious. And Absolutely. They sure will. But like with welders, it goes right onto the hood most of the time, you know, or mm -hmm. the toolbox. And then I love looking at people's sticker collections on their hoods or toolboxes and it tells a story. It's so funny. Like I've got to up my sticker game for Fabtech this year for sure. Oh, good. Good. I, I think it's, it's definitely a fun way to, to advertise, I guess, in a sense, but also just, just sharing with the community. I also grew up um, in like music related. Uh, I played drums in a punk band and uh, dabbled in the guitar a little bit, things like that when I was, you know, younger. And we did the same thing. Stickers were a huge part of it. Punk shows, putting them up on the walls and doing whatever and promoting the band. We would do the same thing. We'd go around putting stickers up on signs you know, around town. So I think that's transferred for me personally from being younger, doing those things to now doing welding. I may have grown up a little bit, but the stickers are still part of it. Yeah, that 
Will Weld for tacos. Like that one, that was my favorite one in that pack. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, awesome. I'm glad you liked that one. Oh yeah. No, I thought uh, that was hilarious. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone, no one's paid me in tacos yet, but <sighs> I would, I probably would accept it. At least the first person to be like, Hey, I'll pay you in tacos if you want. I probably would have to say yes on that one. Oh, okay. I guess, uh, I guess, I guess that'll work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I advertised it. So <laughs> that's so funny. I now, love it. That's what I think stickers do is bring out the personality. And especially like when you have a business, it's hard for people to get the personality of you. They just kind of see your business branding and portfolio. But when you can give them a sticker that has your personality behind it, it helps make Mm -hmm. a personal connection. It sure does. Couldn't agree more on that one. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Upgrade your welding game today with the highest quality leather products from Outlaw Leather USA. Their welding hoods, arm pads, and handles are expertly crafted with premium materials to provide long-lasting durability and stunning visuals. Don't settle for less than the best. Experience unbeatable protection and comfort with Outlaw Leather USA's custom leather products. As a special bonus for listening to the podcast, you can get 10% off your order by using the special promo code WELD10 at checkout. Upgrade your welding gear now at Outlaw Leather USA. Well, speaking of of work, we're going to shift back into your company specifically. How do you go about finding clients? Like, how's that process been for you? It has been uh, a challenge. I started my business right before COVID. So it was a very interesting time to start a business and to continue to try and get work. So my structure, how I wrote my business plan out in the beginning has completely changed like 100%. I mean, I'm still welding, but how I went about everything was totally changed. But the best thing that I found is like Google, like having good Google reviews and things like that. I get most of my calls are from Google and most of my clients come from there. That's and yeah. Google ads are, you could take a whole college course on that because it's, yeah, there's, yeah, a lot, <laughs> there's a lot yeah. involved in that. Like how have you yeah. been working with the ads or, or is it just having no, your so listing up there? I, just the listing. I haven't dived into the ad section of it. It was just making sure that my listing came up and someone in my area search for a welder near me in in my area that I would be, I try my best to be at the top of the list, but at least on the first couple and just having that as an option and making sure that's up to date and relevant has helped a ton. So and anyone listening to this, that's, that's a key point in your business. It's just, I, I think personally, it's Google and making sure that's top notch for your business. Yeah. If, if they can't find you, it's it, you got to make it as easy as possible, like the path of least Absolutely. resistance. For sure. Especially when people are in distress. I broke something and I need it working right now to be able to continue in like a production production setting or something like that. If you just go on Google and you just click on the first one, you don't care who it is. You just need it done. If you're that first person, then that's going to, that's going to be a win. Well, and when you're doing these jobs, like what kind of challenges have you run into? Cause everybody learns. It's like one of the best ways of learning is doing, and especially yeah. when you're doing jobs, like what have been some challenging times that have helped you grow as a welder? I think all of them really are challenged because nothing is the same. Every time I get a call, for a repair or to build something, it, it literally is it's completely different than the last thing I just did. So I'm always learning and relearning. And at first it was scary to do something new. Someone wanted something I've never welded before. 
And I'm like, oh man, this, this is going to be intense. I get a little anxiety over it. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, well, this is the same kind of concept as I've been doing for the past however long. I can do this. So I just... Just show up and take charge. Yeah. Mm-hmm, that's it. What are some of the most common jobs that you are getting? I know you said that everything's different, but a lot of times people will fall into a certain sector. Like I fell into the restaurant and bar sector because I've Mm. played in restaurants and bars for years and know a bunch of people in that sector. But what is your niche, would you say? That's a good question. I would say my niche as a whole, I fall into the category of I do the work that the other bigger weld shops around me don't want to do. Which I'm totally fine with. That I'm okay with those kind of jobs that are smaller or more of a pain for the bigger weld shops. But something that I've gotten a little bit more on the consistent basis is things, um, dining room table and chairs. It's like someone will break a leg to a chair or the backing might break off. And I've done actually a lot of like lawn chairs or dining room table chairs and things like that. And that's kind of where I fall in on the most consistent category of things. Or bar, like uh, bar stools, like you were saying in restaurants and bars, aluminum bar stools or steel bar stools, they're always breaking from people standing on them a little too heavy. And then where are you going to take a couple bar stools that just need to be a little welds on them? Yeah. Big shops don't want them. I'll take them. Are you flying solo or do you have people that yeah. work with you? Oh, uh, it's just me. Just me and my, I have a little shop. I have a, basically a two car garage and uh, that's kind of what I work out of. I tell people all the time, especially like trying to get into welding. I'm like, if you are by yourself, you have something that bigger weld shops can never have. And that is small overhead. It's like your overhead is minuscule compared to if they have to send a whole crew out there. It's impossible. Like they're going to price themselves out. So that's that's what I've found personally is that what you were saying, if it's just one little repair, they could pay like $400 for a new chair or they could pay me whatever I'm going to charge. That's going to be significantly less than buying a new chair and just keep rocking and rolling. Yeah. I couldn't agree more on that. And a lot of these times, these chairs or whatever that kind of thing is, is it's irreplaceable. So you bought it, it's lasted five years or 10 years. You can't just go buy another matching one. Yeah. It's out of production. So you're also, yeah. It, it's either throw away the whole set or buy a whole new set of chairs or repair it. And the, the hundred to $200 they're going to do the repair for whatever it may be is a lot cheaper than buying the whole new set. And it also saves it from going to a landfill or just throwing it away, going to the scrapyard. Hey, and we made our way back. To reuse, <laughs> recycle, and upcycle. <laughs> Absolutely. I got a full circle. Yep. I did a job where they wanted to extend their deck and they had rails and it was all made out of rebar and they wanted it to match and me to reuse as much as I possibly could. And I sure did. I used every bit that they had. There was one column that I had to do where they didn't have a column. So I had to like cut, there was like three pieces holding up this handrail and I cut off all of those, welded them together and it was long enough to be that column. Then it's just fun problem solving when you get to reuse stuff too. Absolutely. That's that's a great feeling. Yeah. It's just fun. And problem solving is probably, I would put it up there as one of the like top five things that welders need to have is good problem solving skills. Cause even if you know how to do a certain weld, you might not be able to do it in the same way you've done it in the past. Like it might be in an Mm -hmm. awkward position or might be inside and you can't use like a certain process. What if you got 
gotta be flexible. When it comes to problem solving, when you're out doing jobs and everything, if you run into a problem, what's your first course of action? I would say that I run into a problem. I'll take a step back. And often I keep like scrap metal with me in the back of my truck. I'm on a process that I'm not either comfortable with or I'm having trouble. I'll Mm -hmm. go back to just a practice plate. Take a minute, go back, weld some plates up or weld something that doesn't matter if I mess up just to get more comfortable with what I'm doing. That's great. I mean, I've heard that a lot. Even warming up before you dive into a weld is huge. Absolutely. Get your machines dialed in, get you dialed in. Yeah, that that, that definitely plays a big part too. When you are encountering metals that you might not know, like how do you identify stuff if you are not 100% sure what it's made of? Because I know there's like the spark test where you can just kind of shave it a little bit and by the amount of sparks, you can get an idea of how much iron is in there. But what are things that you do to just kind of identify what you're working with? That's a good question. I don't really have a specific system that I use. Kind of go by look for most of the time to see if it's like for one galvanized, I can kind of see if it's mild steel versus stainless steel, but kind of get those visual things. And then as I start working on it, I guess I just kind of naturally just gauge as you're right. As I'm grinding, I don't really understand the sparks thing. I know there's a whole uh, thing behind it, but I never really learned too much of that. It's hard to see too. I mean, that's why I was asking if there was something specific that you did, because I've tried the spark test before and sometimes you see a bunch, sometimes you don't. And sometimes it's the same exact material. Yeah. So often I'll make sure that I start my welds in a section that if it messes up somewhere, I can grind it out and it won't be um, the focal point of the end, like the finished product. So on the backside of something, I'll start and I, and I think I have it down settings and I know them. I think I know the, the material and then I realize that it's, it's a different material than I thought. At least there I can kind of adjust and, and figure out on the backside. And then once I get that all dialed in, then you start working towards the, the, the pretty piece. The finished product. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's I and that's great so, advice, too. If you're not sure, just make sure you you do it in a place that you could fix it. Best result is know what you're doing first, but then if you have to kind of guess your way through it, yeah, start in the back. <laughs> the art side, if you had an unlimited budget to build whatever you would want, what would you make? Limited budget. That sounds so nice right now. I, I would love to be in a big shop. That's like a dream of mine. I'm not rushing to get there, but having a bigger shop would allow me to make bigger things and work on bigger items, which would be a lot of fun, I think. But a large sculpture of some sort. I really like making robots. So I think it'd be really fun to make a large robot of some sort out of scrap metal, six to 10 feet tall, maybe even larger, just something giant. That would be cool. That's on my list of things to do. Maybe my, when I retire, that'll be what I do. My retirement is working on something huge. (laughs) Yeah. As far as people getting into the industry, what is the best advice you would give to either new welders or people getting into the industry trying to kind of break out like you did? What advice would you give them? There's so much. It, it is endless. I've gone through so much trial and error that I love. I get messages about this kind of every once in a while. And I love to kind of guide some of the newer welders. Just, hey, maybe avoid this. It might save you some time. Learn from my mistakes. But really, I think practice makes perfect. Everyone says it. It kind of gets old hearing it. But really, just practice is the, the biggest key to everything. And you're really dialing in on your skill. Other than that, I mean, I think taking time to wear the, the right PPE has been a huge effect on me because there'll be times that I'll end up burning myself and then I'm uncomfortable for the next few days or in pain and trying to work through it just because I didn't put the right jacket on or 
um, I was lazy or in a hurry or something like that. So those would be the two biggest things. As far as someone breaking out on their own, they're a welder, they're looking to either start their own business or do something along that line. I would just say, don't do it for the money. Do it because you love doing it. And if you just do a good job because you really want to do a good job, that's going to be the best thing for your business and the best form of advertising. And that goes a long way. People in the area talk and you do good work, then that's going to travel very fast. That's great advice. That's great advice. I really like that PPE advice too, because I feel like everybody tries to be so tough. It's like, we get yeah. it. And Russ, there's always a minute to, to go to your truck or go wherever you need to be like, oh, my welding jacket. And then we just go grab it real quick. Because the longevity of it, if you're trying to do this every day and you're constantly hurting yourself, it just makes it really tough to perform good quality welds or just good quality business practices if you're always hurting yourself or setting yourself back. Yeah. Just take the minute. Yeah, just do yourself a service. I mean, it, you only yeah. get one body and you only get one. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you mess up like me, I have carpal tunnel really bad. And right. I do all kinds of stuff to try to remedy it. But, you know, there's you can go get surgery. But I'm very protective of my hands and welders. It's like your eyes, your hands and your body. Like your whole body is very essential to do your job. Like Absolutely. just take care of it. It's, you don't have to be the toughest, roughest, toughest person out there. Just just go out and cover your body and take care of yourself. Yep. Uh, Welding hood is a good one. Like you said, eyes. Don't buy a cheap hood. If you can get one of the better ones, just to keep your eyes going for a long time, especially when you're welding, you're planning on welding for years on end. Got to protect those. Yeah. And use the right shades too. Oh yeah. (laughs) That's a huge one. Absolutely. A lot of people, they'll... I mean, I try to go as dark as I possibly can. And it has changed through the years mm-hmm. that I've been welding. Like I have to go a little bit lighter every year, but I try not to go below an 11 shade no matter what, just because yeah. it's, it's still pretty light. And at the end of the day, I feel it, but yeah, right. Yeah. Your eyes get strained. Bright lights are so different nowadays. Yep, they sure are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to make it up to Scrap Fest because this sounds just really cool. Oh, that'd be great. But, I was going to say the date of Scrap Fest for anyone listening is July 14th and 15th. And um, it's in Old Town, Lansing, Michigan, the Lansing, Michigan area. If anyone's in the area or wants to come in and check it out, it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's, it's free to attend? Yeah. So they just block off one of the main streets. And the, the whole event is just on those streets. The sculptures will be like more in the middle of the street. And then they have some vendors. And uh, one thing fun about the vendors real quick I want to throw in there is they're not just the typical vendors that you'll see at any event, but what they can sell has to be, I think, like 80% recycled material. That's cool. Uh, so the scrap fest goes a lot more into not just the sculptures being made from scrap metal, the vendors having to sell whatever they're making with the earrings have to be at least 70% recycled material. So you're going to make them out of um, fun, different things. So the stuff that you see there all around is really cool. And it's probably going to be a really unique thing to take home. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely different than anywhere else you're going to go. That's cool, man. Yeah, no, I definitely want to check it out. And so happy that you posted about it because I would have never even known. Absolutely. Yeah, happy to share about it and just hopefully get some more exposure for them. And it's already grown since the last year when I went till now. It's already grown a bit more. So it's only going to keep getting bigger and better. That's awesome. And I don't know if you want to give this away. But when, what are you planning on building this year? Uh, that's, uh, I was debating whether I wanted it's to say top, If it's top not, secret, it's cool, man. I get it. But. I'm going to say, so I'll just give you a hint. 
So I have uh, the, the team, other teammate is Mike Beaver. If you guys want to go on Instagram and find him, it's Beaver's Fab Lab. And he really likes making skeletons, and I really like making robots. Oh, okay. So I have an idea then. We're, we're going to stop there and let you guys come up with your own imagination of what it's going to be like. But that's basically a little hint. That's awesome. I'm excited. You got me hooked. Awesome. Well, well I, hope you do, I hope you do are able to make it out because it'll be a lot of fun. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Well.com podcast. And thank you, Johnny Snyder, for sitting down with me and chatting with us, giving us all the information we'd need on such a unique festival that is doing its part to help with the environmental impact of the welding industry. I also want to give a shout out to our amazing sponsors, Arc Labs, Outlaw Leather, and Lincoln Electric for making the show possible and helping us all learn more about all the paths out there in the welding industry. If you have a topic you'd like me to cover or would like to be a guest on the show, reach out to me on the Weld app at BoDidIt or shoot me an email to bow at weld.com. Speaking of the app, did you know that you can showcase yourself as a welder on our job board? You can let potential employers know what you specialize in, what your rates are, and how far you're willing to go to get the job done. Download the app today to see everything it has to offer to take your career to the next level. Until next week, we'll see you out there.